Mark chapter 6, verse 35. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him, and they said, It's a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. And he answered and said to them, Give ye them to eat. And they said to him, Should we go and buy 200 penny worth of bread and give them to eat? And he saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. When they knew, they saved five and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when they had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and break the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided him among them all. They did all eat and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes. And they that did eat of the loaves were about five thousand men. What an amazing miracle. Look what it says in verse 52. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. I want us to consider the miracle of the loaves this morning. The miracle of multiplication. I've often thought about this story and wondered how exactly did this happen? Anybody else here? Now, we know what Christ did. He came and he took, he told them to, Go and see what they had. And Andrew came back with a little boy and said, We have five loaves and two fishes. Now, I know what everybody's thinking. Everybody has a different opinion about the size of the fish and the size of the loaves. And it doesn't change the size of the miracle, uh, whether those were sardines or uh, muffins or large loaves, whatever the case. You're feeding around 20,000 people with five loaves. Forget the size of the loaves. Now, here's what I don't believe. Uh, I've mentioned this before here at Capital City. I know people come through this pulpit. I don't want to debate with them. I don't want to correct them. But they talk about the little lad and the lunch and giving away his lunch. I don't believe for a minute it was a lunch. Uh, because had a boy gone out in the morning hours, by the afternoon hours, his lunch would be gone. You say it was barley, and kids don't like barley. He would have traded it for something else that he liked. That's what kids do with a lunch that's not edible, Mom. They trade it to another child. They find a Uriah or a Trinity that eats barley, and they trade. But that lunch is gone, usually by snack time, not by lunch time. This little boy was carrying back groceries, barley loaves. Now, let me ask you this. What mother has ever sent their kid to school with five loaves of barley and two fish? Come on, people. Let's be logical here for a moment. That's called groceries. That's not called lunch. Anybody here go to school with barley besides Thompson family? <laughs> Homemade barley loaves. Now, uh, this, this uh, family obviously... Had, had given this boy some change. This is, this is grocery for a poor family, but he's supposed to bring this food home, but here he is. You know, it's amazing how giving kids naturally are, but can you imagine as he comes over with the, the, the fish and the loaves and Christ tells the disciples, because remember the conversation, we're not going all the way back through the text, but the conversation 
leading up to this, he's been out, he's been preaching, the people are exhausted. You're talking about a mass of people, 15, 20,000 people out there. What an incredible mass. They're hungry. Now remember, in, in these days, people didn't eat like we do in America. Not excess food. I was just in Malawi. Every day, all three meals, it was the same mush. Every And they were excited. They loved it. They all, when I came by the camera, Pastor, did you get some? This is unbelievable. No, I didn't because it is unbelievable <laughs> that you would actually eat that. But it's a belly filler, and you go back several thousand years, they didn't eat for pleasure, Uh, they, they didn't eat for taste, they ate to simply fill their bellies, and God is going to do a special miracle here through uh, the disciples, through Jesus Christ, but here's what Christ does in his compassion. He says, we're not sending these people home because the disciples' first suggestion is this, just send them away. Let them buy their own bread, let them take care of themselves. And here's what Christ tells the disciples. I would have loved to have seen their reaction to these words. He looks at the disciples and says, go feed them. Can you imagine this? If I told you today, if I told any one of you in a crowd of a couple hundred, hey, go take these people out for lunch. It's a pastor, I, I don't have that much money in my bank account. I don't, I don't have that much credit on my visa card. I can't afford to pay for that. We're talking about a couple hundred people. What are the disciples going to do? We know how simply they lived, how poorly they, they lived as far as the economics of traveling with the Lord Jesus Christ. But he looks at them and says, guys, go feed them. And their reaction is, okay, how? How? If If we go, look what it says, verse 37, he answered and said to them, give me them to eat. And they said to him, should we go and buy 200 penny worth of bread and give them to eat? We we don't have the finance, first of all, but what would it cost to feed a crowd? And where would we have to go? Where's the bread store with bread supply for 20,000 people? They're looking and saying, this is impossible. So Christ said, I got the solution. And he took the bread and the fish and he blessed it. Now, put yourselves here. As Christians, we don't do a good enough job of putting ourselves in the scripture and imagining what has taken place. So Christ takes the bread and the fish and he breaks it. This is why I don't believe for a minute it was lunch bread, a little roll, a little muffin. We're talking loaves of bread. And he breaks it among 12 and the fish. And he breaks it. And he looks over Peter as a spokesman. He's normally the one that's speaking his mind. I love Peter. Uh, I love every story about Peter. Uh, I love people that are just real. We all see a little bit of ourselves in Peter. A little bit of Peter in us. And can you imagine? Here's Peter with some bread and some fish in his hands. And uh, Christ said, now go feed him. I wonder if Peter said, Lord, you want to bless this one more time? (laughs) Now, he has them set in companies of of 50 and 100, and he's kind of divided the crowd up a little bit, make it a little easier to distribute the food. But if there's 20,000 people there and 12 disciples, you've got 1,666 people apiece, and, and you've got this. Ladies, how many of you have ever had a husband that was a little tight 
with finances. And he gave you $82 and invited 12 people over to that house. You think, okay, this is going to be tricky, but we'll make it work. We can make it happen. You, you have a party for the family on Christmas, or you're, you're thinking Thanksgiving Day celebration, you're thinking it would be nice if we could throw a little bit more change towards this project. <laughs> and here's what Peter is thinking. Lord, this is my section, and this is what I have. Now, how did this happen beyond, these are the only details that we have in this story. So here's my question. When, when they go out to distribute the food, I wonder what, what they were doing. Were they breaking the loaves and God was extending the loaf? Were they breaking the fish? Were they leaving the basket and it was multiplying? Exactly how we do not know. But I wonder if Peter walked over to the first big boy and said, uh, take a little piece. <laughs> Think about the kids next to you. Let's be honest for a minute. What, what is going through their mind? This is the food on the hand. This is the crowd they're supposed to feed. And they're given no explanation of how this is going to work. It was simply blessed and divided and handed over to them. And here's what we have. The miracle, the multiplication. And the Bible says, everyone here ate and was filled. Uh, what a miracle. That was Christ's love for the crowd that said, Every child, even the fat people, even those that don't need as much, I want to make sure they get as much as they desire and eat until they are filled. Now, you know what God's plan is today concerning the gospel? We're talking about the gospel. For every man everywhere to get a portion, to hear the truth. Now, here's the miracle of multiplication. If you've got a Bible this morning, would you just, would you just raise it in the air? Now, hold on, raise that. Look at this, look at this. Just about everyone in here has a Bible. Look, this is a miracle. This, did, did you realize you're looking at a miracle? How did you all get a copy? Thank you, you can put that down. Do you understand the miracle multiplication? You, you do understand that 3,500 years ago, God took a man named Moses and he gave him five books of the law. Do you realize what he had to write those books? His writing tools? Do you understand how quickly the, the, the nature of where he was living was going to destroy that original copy? How many of you, having lived 3,500 years ago, would have predicted in 3,500 years there will be millions and millions of copies of these books Throughout the entire earth. In 15, I'm talking about the, 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 the Bible, 1,500 languages. How, how does that happen? That's called the miracle of what? You, you know God is professional multiplication. You see all the scriptures out there in the, the wilderness and the food that was supplied for that crowd when there were no grocery stores, no HEBs. Can you imagine that, Sammy? Life without HEB. What a bummer. Life without Walmart would be an incredible blessing. But life without AGB would be a serious problem. But they had no grocery stores, and there God multiplies. And you look back, uh, Elijah and, and that uh, widow woman, and he comes, what? 
What a difficult circumstance. You're going to tell this woman who's starving to death, preparing her last meal, go ahead and feed me first. I, I feel for that preacher. What an awkward circumstance that God puts him in. And guess what happens to that barrel of meal and that pot of oil? What's it say? God just continued to multiply. Remember the widow with Elisha? Her, her boy's about ready to be taken into servitude, and she comes in, I need a miracle from God. He said, go and gather a bunch of pots. And when, when she did, he began to pour out, and God began to multiply. Now, God's in the business of multiplication. But there's no better example in all the world than the book that we hold in our hands, because who could explain books that came from heaven inspired? All scripture is what? Given by inspiration. I'm so fed up with the attack on the inspiration of the word of God. If God's word is not inspired, why would you take five minutes of your time to read it? If it didn't come straight from heaven, if it didn't come from God's lips, if it were written by men, we're wasting our time. Why did you take the gas that's needed to get to church this morning? If you came to read a book that's not even inspired. Amen. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Some have asked, what if they would have messed it up? What if they inserted their opinion? What if they couldn't? You don't understand inspiration. Inspiration, the Holy Spirit of God, taking over the very heart and mind and hands and body of a man. Where Peter, a man that couldn't even spell. Can you imagine Peter? He's writing. Look at this. Boy, this is good stuff. This is really powerful. I didn't know I had this in my noggin. And God said, you didn't. This isn't you. You, you couldn't even spell that properly when he finished. Can, can you imagine that Peter saying, so how are we going to title this? And God said, you can go ahead and put first Peter. First? <laughs> how many more of these to come do we have? This is incredible. If, if you thought about the miracle of the 66 books that make up the Bible, and everything, we're not going to take the time this morning to speak of the wonder that is Scripture, but this book, inspired by God, placed in our hands, perfectly preserved. You say, how do you know that couldn't mess it up? Because the Bible says, forever, O Lord, thy word is what? Settled. In heaven, if man tried to mess it up, God wasn't, oh boy, I love this story in Jeremiah where Jeremiah sends a copy of scripture, Barak, to the king, the king gets angry, he pulls out a pen knife, he cuts it up, throws it into the fire, says we're done with that. Can you imagine God in heaven, oh boy, what do I do? Oh no, he ruined my word, he threw it in the fire. Guys, we got a problem, can you imagine Jeremiah? Cuts it, Jeremiah. This is our, come on, this is forever established. No man's going to destroy this. To have the the inspired, preserved word of God, you say, well, pastor, think about those scribes and the copies. I've I've read all the rules of the scribes. It was incredible to think about when, when writing Jehovah, a man has to go and wash his entire body to be clean enough to write the word Jehovah in Scripture. 
and heirs and how if there were certain heirs and per page or per book, the entire book had to be scrapped. I understand all that, but at the end of the day, they were not the custodians of God's word. You say, well, the scribes are the custodians of the Old Testament. The church was the custodian of the New Testament. So they could have messed up. They couldn't mess it up. God was the custodian. God himself. If any man were in charge of preserving his word, it would have been messed up. And man has purposely been used by Satan to corrupt the word of God. That's why we have so many mistranslations. Amen. Amen. Corrupted translations. That doesn't work out at all. The miracle of multiplication is that you're sitting here this morning holding in your hands the King James Bible. Can someone say amen to that? Now, if you're holding an ESV or an NIV, you you got a corrupted meal. Okay, that's the last thing. I've had food poisoning before, and that's a serious, serious problem. We're in Argentina, and we're getting... We were getting care packages, and someone sent us peanut butter. And when I opened up that peanut butter, I looked inside, and I said, that sneaky woman, she's already eaten half of this. Now, when you're in a foreign country and you get, you get peanut butter, you know what you got. You've got to manage that carefully over time because that's the only one you're going to get for a year. I thought that sneaky woman's already eaten half the jar. I said, she's already eaten half the jar. I'm going to go to town, too. So I threw it on heavy. I ate that sandwich, and when I finished, I said, babe, you ate half the jar of peanut butter. She said, I haven't touched it. (laughs) That might be a problem. I was violently sick for four days. Somebody sent us a jar of half-eaten peanut butter that sat in immigration for three or four weeks in the sun, collected some germs that sat on the bottom of my gut, gave me... Uh, life-threatening illness. Now, hold on for a second. You know what's worse than corrupted peanut butter? Corrupted Bible. That's serious. I promise you this. There's no one in this crowd that left with food poisoning. This was blessed by God and multiplied and went to the hands, and it's been translated now. We're, we're talking about, folks, you know the miracle of this? They didn't even have printing press. Anybody ever heard of Gutenberg? Uh-huh. He wasn't around 2,000 years ago. That doesn't go back 3,500 years to think that, that this has been preserved and translated and, and through the ages multiplied and it's gone around the world and people marvel about Coke. Forget Coke. That's lousy taste no matter how you, what cup you put it in. Well, if you ice it, if you freeze it, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, the word of God and his mass multiplication, stop bragging on Coke, start bragging on Jesus, because this is a whole lot greater miracle. The fact that every man, everywhere I've been around the world, folks, I've been in closed countries. We were in North Korea years ago. Hard to believe we're, we're sitting in the border of North Korea in, in China and, and there's a man that's putting MP3 players in, in cans of vegetables and people in North Korea are getting the entire word of God. Mm-hmm. Kim Jong-un. Not happy about that. 
He's not happy about anything right now. He's burning in hell. But he thought he closed off the entire country of the Word of God. So did he know that everything he put in place had no, had, had, had no way of prohibiting God's mighty work of multiplying the Scripture. And now the printing presses and ministries and everywhere you go. I've, I've gone around the world and seen chick tracks and Bibles. I remember in Pachuca they had an event where we were at in Pachuca Hidalgo in Mexico. And the big 15 de septiembre, the big, there were 45, 50, 60,000 people to gather in Pachuca. So Brother Fuller did us a favor. He printed up. 40 or 50,000, I can't remember at the moment how many John and Romans we put on the, the, the seal of Mexico and the flag of Mexico and, and the wind down there. We passed out every one of those. I've never seen anything more incredible in my life to, to watch a mass of tens of thousands of people and every single adult in that crowd was carrying around Scripture in their hand. Incredible. You, you know how that happened? Because God is a God of what? Multiplication. How many of those books do you have in your house? How many pieces of scripture do you have in your house? If you just went home and counted how many additional Bibles, you got scripture in your car from tracts to New Testaments, soul winter New Testaments. You've got it buried in your mind, memorized in your heart. We're talking about the miracle of multiplication. It ought to make you shout. Some of you Baptists turn Presbyterian on me. The Bible says in Acts 12, 24, the word of God grew and multiplied, but it was growing and multiplying. And it's amazing who God has used over the years. Heathen, King Darius, Ahasuerus, King James. Well, King James was a heathen. God can use anybody. He uses you. Isn't it a shame that God would use a heathen in a greater way to mass multiply the word of God than a Christian who's supposed to be loving and dedicated? Have you ever been used of God in the multiplication process? Look what it says, verse 39. Mark 6, 39. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds, by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and two fishes, he looked up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves, and he gave them to his what? Now, for the miracle to take place in multiplication, it's got to be passed out. You know why we're not seeing a greater multiplication of the word of God? Because not enough Christians are making sure to pass it out. How much of the word of God have you gotten out this week? When's the last time you gave away a Bible? When's the last time you bought a convert a Bible? When's the last time you quoted someone's scripture? He gave it to the disciples to set before them. And the two fish divide he among them all. Now, it's not just a miracle of multiplication. It's a miracle of the organization. Because, church, let me ask you this. If you have 12 men feeding 20,000 people and you had not walked in. Here's what we do. Anniversary Sundays and things like this. We fed 600, 700 people. We average about 650 people that we're feeding. And here's what we do weeks in advance. We start meeting and scheduling and organizing, and each group has to organize their group. And we separate the people, and we don't seat everyone together. There's a lot going on to make sure to distribute food properly to 650 people. 
What about to 20,000 when there was no meeting before the meeting? He basically said, let's organize in groups of 50 and 100. Here's, here's, how many of you have ever, without a microphone, even tried to organize 50 people, let alone 20,000 in the open air? Tell me how that works out. It doesn't work out very well. I marvel every time I read this scripture to think 20, this is supernatural because 20,000 people were fed at the hands of 12 men that were clueless. Maybe Matthew would have little organizational skills. You tell me who the rest of that bunch had any organizational skills at all. And, and there they got, they got to feed 1,500 and 2,000 people apiece. And people raising their hand, you know, people, you, you think they just suddenly dropped on the ground, sat like well-behaved children, and waited for the food to come to them. I guarantee there were still people running around, kids running around, and the Bible said every single one of them got enough to eat and was filled. Now, hold on for a minute. When we think about the Great Commission, 8 billion people, you're talking 195 countries. The, the masses are incredible, and people are spread about in villages, in towns, and cities, and how, how is it that we're going to get the gospel to every creature? How is it that we're going to reach every soul? How is it that we're going to distribute the word of God to every last person? It's going to take a miracle. Now consider for a moment who's involved. You have independent Baptists, but everyone involved in getting the scripture out is not independent Baptist. You have all kind of people, different denominations. You have some that are organized, some that are disorganized. And I can't tell you about everyone, but I can tell you about the Baptists that I know. Okay, you got Bible colleges with leaders that won't even talk to each other. And if you don't do things like we do them, certainly you can't be of God. And, and okay, so you have a few called over here and a few called over there. And these ones believe that Every local church should support at least 50% of the budget of their missionaries. And others say, no, they need to get out and raise it. And, and some churches only give a missionary $25 a month. And some give $500 a month. And a poor missionary got to get on the phone and call. And pastor won't answer their phone. And then they try to send an email. And then it rattles around from secretary to secretary. And six months later, they finally invite them to the missions conference because they have three missionaries. At their, we're going to reach the world. We're going to have three missionaries at our missions conference. And we're going to give them $50 a month and tell them, we're going to pray and bless the scripture that we just gave you and break the fish and the loaves and say, go feed the masses. Now, let me ask you, who's, who's determinant? Among the independent Baptists, uh, who goes to Germany and who goes to Afghanistan and who goes to Malawi and who goes to Eritrea and who goes to Nicaragua? And you know what? If you looked at the organization, you would say, this plan is doomed for failure. It has failure written all over it. And, and you have uh, this group of Baptists and this group of uh, Bible believers and you have, uh, you know, I graduated from Miles Anderson, and I, I'm a Bible believer, and I follow Ruckman. I've read all his commentary, and I, not me. I graduated from B.J. I'm not me. I'm a firm follower of Paul Chapel, and, and, and you say at the end of the day, how are we, we going to 
reach the masses when we got this kind of craziness going on. And then a pastor says, where did you graduate? I remember years ago, uh, we were in Oklahoma, and we'd, we'd gone to the meeting and preached and sung that night, and everything seemed to go well. And afterwards, we were with the preacher, and I graduated from OPC. He was a graduate of BBC. Now, if you know anything about Dr. Vineyard in Springfield, those two mix like oil and water. Yeah. They're not great friends at all. But we're sitting there at the table, and the preacher asked me, he said, So, Pastor, uh, when did you graduate from uh, BBC? And I looked over and said, I didn't graduate from BBC. I graduated from OBC. His mouth dropped. You can ask my wife. She's sitting here. He didn't speak another word to us the rest of the evening. I'm just glad that he had already promised to take us on for support. I talked to his assistant pastor for the rest of the night. Suddenly, we were not qualified because we graduated from the wrong school. Now, let me ask you this. How in the world, with, with the, uh, the ridiculous behavior among independent Christians, Baptists, how, how is it that we get the gospel around the world? you know why? Because God's in charge of the organization. God's in charge of calling. God's in charge of supporting. And God's in charge of sending. And I've traveled around the world, and here's what you're going to see. There are Christians everywhere. You, you'll travel to some of the darkest places. You say, the gospel hasn't gotten here. You start passing out track, and you find out God beat you to that village. Amen. Mm-hmm. The gospel got there long before you did. You thought you, thought you were the great white American that's going to save that village with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God said, yeah! Jokes on you. I've been here a long time before you ever landed. The word of God got here way before your bright idea did. Because God is in charge of the organization of all of this. Now let me ask you this. Do you think for a minute you have enough confidence saying that those 12 men who didn't even believe this crowd could be fed, suddenly uh, whipped together a plan to distribute food to 20,000 people and do it in an efficient manner? Hmm, we know better than that. Here's what happened. The same miraculous Lord Jesus Christ that provided the food put together the organization where suddenly men who were disorganized and people who were disorganized sat, ate, and acted in an orderly fashion. And George, I'm going to tell you this. I've been around the world, and I, I looked at Brother Gardner came here. He talked about 900 churches, and I watched pastor missionaries roll their eyes. And I climbed on that plane, I went to Malawi, and guess what we saw? Hundreds and hundreds and thousands of Christians. We went to a conference where a national pastor organized food and hosting 2,000 people with three bathrooms on the property. No kitchen, a homemade kitchen, temporary bathrooms, and a miracle took place. You know why? Because if, if it, you know, we, we beat our chest and in our pride, we think this about us. And I've got a plan. I talked to men all the time, and we got a plan, we're going to channel this towards the national pastors, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, we've got things going on in the Philippines, we've got a man here, and, and thinking, and it, we're so lifted up pride, is if our plan was the master plan when it came to missions, and if it weren't for us, the whole world would be going to hell. You know why the world's not going to hell? God not only provided us the book, he has a plan. 
and he's called up young men out of churches you don't know anything about. And he's using pastors that, that you never find out their name. You'll never hear about them in life. There will no, be, be no biography written about their ministry. But God has used those men to support missionaries and send missionaries out. And God said, I'll take care of the placement. I'll take care of the plan. You just surrender. You just obey. You just give. I'll look at the bigger picture. At the end of the day, the, the distribution was absolutely incredible. And here's, here's what blows my mind. When you, when you think about every, it says everyone ate and was filled. God is focused on every soul, make sure every person gets the bread. We were in Mexico years ago, and a, and a guy showed up to church, uh, really messed up. Life had messed him up. And tried committing suicide. And when he came in, he was drunk, just stone drunk. And I went to his house the next day. I didn't know that night when I talked about it. I had no idea about his story. I had no idea about it as well. I, I was clueless. And the next day, uh, he told me to show up, gave me the address, and we did. And big brick wall, security gate, security guards. I didn't know this man was filthy rich, had a big business. You walked through the warehouses. Uh, you walked up through all the security, three, three floors, get up there. And, uh, security guard's with me the whole time and waits for the businessman to open up the door. We walk in, sit down. You know what was sitting on his living room table? One of those 30-pound family Bibles. Open. You know what God told me? You thought you were bringing the gospel to this home. I beat you here. I thought, how did that book get past the security guards? How did that book get, get beyond all? The, if, if I would have came and knocked on this door, I would have never been able to bring the scripture to this house. But God said, Adam, I beat you here because that's what I do. I'm the one that's in charge of the organization of the distribution. And that's the miracle. Church, we ought to rejoice this morning because God knows so much more than we do. He His plan is so much bigger than ours. And just about the time we, we want to beat our chest and brag on ourselves and think that we've actually accomplished something, God said, I just allow you along for the ride. Thank you for that minimal effort. Can, can you imagine the disciples that, that, that are writing these books it, they're not sitting here explaining their great plan of distribution. They're saying, you know what? We followed his orders and everyone ate and a miracle took place. And look what it says, verse 43 or verse 42. They did all eat and were what? Filled. Now remember this is a time when people didn't fill themselves at the dinner table. Here's what Christ said. Many of these people probably never fill themselves more than once or twice in their entire life. Let's fill them all. The miracle is not him saying, everyone gets a little piece of bread and a little piece of fish. Uh-huh. This isn't someone feeding a large crowd trying to figure out portion size. This is Jesus Christ saying, kids, you can eat as... There are a lot of teenagers, I imagine. He said, Pastor, it was barley. How many people are going to fill themselves on barley? I know, usually a bite of barley filled me up and I was done. But some of you aren't smiling because you never had a mother that fed you barley. 
they did eat of the loaves, and there were about 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. But there were fragments. Now, here's my question. Why were there fragments? Now, here's what I believe. Jesus had a plan. But if, if he told them, go with me to, to, to John 6 for just a moment. He told them not to waste the fragments. Church, I believe there's a lesson even here in this. Verse 12, when they were filled, he said to the disciples, gather up the fragments that remain. What's it say? Church, I don't believe that any scripture should be lost. I, nothing to me is more frustrating to think about boxes of John and Romans sitting in storage closets around the world. I believe every scripture, I believe even Bibles that have been left. You, you say, what do we do? They're in a storage closet. Go find someone to hand that scripture to that doesn't have scripture. Here's what he said, no fragment. But here's my question. If they're praying, how was this being distributed? How was this being multiplied? Why were there 12 baskets? Were those people that say, hey, I'll take three more pieces of bread, and they only ate two? Or were these people, Christ cannot force, he can provide the food, but he can't force anyone to eat. I wonder if there were some there that took the bread and then said, this is barley. Now, here's what happens. We distribute the gospel. You're going to take it to the door, but you can't force anyone to eat. Because if they're trusting in their works, they're trusting themselves, and you say, this is salvation by grace through faith, without works. And they say, well, I don't want that scripture. I believe if there are 20,000 people here, there are some people that aren't eating because they don't like barley. You know what happens? We're going to get the gospel to the world by the help and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there are people that simply are not going to eat barley. It's too healthy for them. The scripture, that's not the one I want. Now, here's, here's the amazing thing about this. Twelve imperfect people. And folks, here's what happens. We bring missionaries through here, preach the gospel. People, who, who in here, I just like to see you raise their hands. Who in here is perfect? Well, I wonder, they're out in the desert place. I wonder how many of them washed their hands before they handed out that barley. Probably none of them. <laughs> but they were imperfect. Here's what I see when it comes to pastors and missionaries. None of them are perfect. Even the, even the greatest ones of this generation. I've spent time with Louis Ramos and, and uh, Rick Martin and Doug Sisson, whoever you want to throw on that list. We have some of the greatest men in the mission field right here out of this church. But I don't care if it's James Hoffmeister or Tom Gear or Keith Stensis or Matt Johnson or who, whoever it is. They're all imperfect. Their ministries are imperfect. Their plans are imperfect. Their child rearing is imperfect. Their marriages are imperfect. And here's what God says. Just go pass out the bread. Aren't you glad that God's not looking for perfect helpers? God would still be waiting for the first one to show up. And you're not the first. Now, here's, I love the words in verse 13. They gather them together. They filled 12 baskets with fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained, what's it say? Over and above. You know, we have more than enough scripture for every person on the planet. The issue is the distribution. The issue is the people involved being willing to make sure to get the gospel out. Now, look what it says in verse uh, 14, and will be finished. Let's talk about the miracle, the glorification here for a minute. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, 
They said, this is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. Now let me ask you what the purpose here, we'll talk about this tonight as well. The purpose was for men to recognize this, is, this man is more than a prophet. This is God in the flesh. This is the Messiah. Now let me ask you this. If just in our church this morning, if we took the 350, 400 people that are in the building today, and we, from the back to the, the Spanish ministries, the discipleship, everything that's going on today, and said, Pastor Thompson, he's going to feed you. What's his plan? Hopefully it's Rudy's. No, it's not Rudy's. He brought a couple sandwiches and some fish. You say, okay, doesn't sound like a very good plan to me. If I multiply that and fit everyone here to the full, you know what happened? Okay. We just saw today the supernatural. 350 or 400, 500. What about 20,000? You know what they said? Any reasonable, rational person that was present said, okay, guys, there, there's no way to explain this. What we just saw and all these people filled, and then look, they started with five loaves and two fishes, and look, there are 12 baskets there with just the fragments that remain from feeding this crowd. Something supernatural just happened. You have the Lord Jesus Christ who did something to verify that he was God in the flesh. And here's what happened. He delivered every single one of these people from going hungry. And when I, when I went to Malawi, we're looking at that crowd. Cap City, thank you. We financed that meeting. Thank you for your giving. So we paid for that meeting. When he told me, Pastor, that's $10 a piece, I asked Keith, Keith, how much does it cost? You, you bring in pastors and you do these kind of events. He said it cost me $15 to $20. I said, he said, but now it's cheaper. We can probably do it for $10. Like we got to put up bathrooms. We've got to buy generators and do all the rest. And Henry told me, $10 a piece, we can provide the transportation in, feed them. You can provide them transportation and feed them? And then get them home for $10? Now, at the end of the day, we found out it's a little bit more than that. But Cap said, you pay for that. I said, Henry, how many people do you want to have? As many as we can bring. We ended up with 2,000 workers and pastors and assistants and helpers. But here's what I thought. How are you going to feed these people now, these huge pots? Stirring this mush. Robert, were you ever tempted one day to eat some of that mush mush? You know, you know what? I've never had anything in my life motivate me to fast like, <laughs> like those kitchens with that mush mush being stirred. Humongous. You're talking about, is that 50 gallons? How many gallons of mush mush? And there's three of these mush mush pans. And you just bring your bowl, get a, get a thing of mush mush. He delivered every one of these from going hungry. Guess what? There's not a single soul on this planet that God wants to see die without the gospel. And if we do our job, that won't happen, church. Not a single Austinite should die without hearing the gospel. Now, here's what I like. These, these disciples were very fortunate with Jesus Christ completing the miracle. 
Can you imagine? Okay, here are the disciples. They're passing out this food. And, and here's Peter. He's singing. He's, he's doing, no, Matthew. Matthew's the man that knows numbers. So Matthew's thinking, okay, I got about 15, 1,800 people here. And, and he's passing out first row, second row, third row, fourth row, fifth row, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, gets the tenth row, eleventh row. Can you imagine if the Lord Jesus Christ decided to pull a trick? <laughs> Just said, we'll stop the multiplication right there. Uh, sorry, Mike. End of the road, end of the line. Those guys are going to look really stupid. Now think about this for a minute. If it weren't for the grace of God for the gear, if it weren't for the miraculous power of God, how often would we look totally stupid? I, I mean, Robert, just going to Malawi, you, you think about that trip and all that God did. That, had God not put that together, we could have looked like some major idiots. How is it that it has nothing to do with us? It has everything to do with God. And you think about, we, we went to Mexico and Argentina and you started, you don't know anyone. I remember in, in Pachuca, we, we didn't know anyone. I, I wandered around in places of power and influence to I could finally find someone that was willing to co-sign on a house for us so we could rent. You want to talk about feeling like an idiot? Go to perfect strangers and say, hey, I don't know anyone in this town, but I got to rent a house. But in order to rent the house, I need someone to put their name on the line. Would you be willing to do that for me? <laughs> yeah, that's what I got. A bunch of Chris's in Mexico. They looked at me and they said, no, thank you. We found an old grandma hugged my neck and she said, I'll do that for you. Just tell me you'll pay your bills. Yeah. Our owner said, you could help facilitate your life when you ask that question. Just hand people a bottle of wine. They would agree much quicker to do what you ask. I said, I'm a Baptist minister. I'm not going to offer them a bottle of wine to bribe them into co-signing for my house. But when we talk about missions, I remember meeting Daryl Covington, and he talked about moving into North Korea and, and baking. He, he has that bread factory that he said, I thought that was a blessing of God, and I got the bread factory, and I'm risking my life baking. He said, you know what? I want to know how big the, the Korean Bible is. It's this big. You've got to hand out a loaf of bread that looks like a book. Did you want to talk about riches? I said, how many of those did you hand out? Six. I about got my family killed to hand out six Bibles. And he said, what's worse? It took me two years to realize North Koreans don't eat bread. That's why they gave me the bread factory. They eat rice. They eat noodles. They eat kimchi. They eat squid. They don't eat bread. I thought that was a blessing of God. He said it was a big fraud. <laughs> he said, you know what happened? You know why God used him to reach so many of those North Koreans? Because he was willing to say, most of my ideas are totally stupid, but God has a bigger idea and a brighter idea and a better idea. Yeah. And here's what the disciples, had it not been for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, they would look very stupid. And I'll tell you right, tell you what, 15 years in mission and 15 years in, in, in pastoring, I've, I've seen this. If it were not for the grace of God, most of what we do <laughs> wouldn't turn out very well. Now, here's, here's the best miracle of all when we're finished. Look what it says in verse 12. When they were filled, he said, and the disciples gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. And therefore, they gathered them together 
John 6, 13, and did what? They filled 12 baskets with the fragments. Now, hold on for a minute. Go back with me to verse 9. What's it say? The other gospel don't tell us who gave the fish and the bread, but John does. There's a lad here which has five barley loaves and two small fishes. Now, here's, here's the miracle. The miracle is this boy who is so generous with mama's groceries. Can you imagine? Had he got home that day? No money and no groceries? And mom said, what'd you do with the money? I bought the food you told me to buy. And then Jesus Christ took it and then he fed 20,000 people. It was absolutely phenomenal. Do you think mom would have hugged his neck? He said, I'm so thankful you participated in a miracle. She said, first of all, boy, what if I told you about a lion? And second of all, your mama don't have much. But suddenly you're going to leave us with absolutely nothing. What were you thinking? You get a fast for the next week until daddy comes home with the next paycheck. Now, forget the whole, you know, these preachers come through and talk about it. God gave everyone, the disciples, a basket, blah, 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 whatever. He's going he's gonna to bless this boy, and he goes running home. I imagine the disciples had to keep telling him to slow down. Because they're making sure, here's what Christ said, you got to get all that food back to that little boy's house. Now I feel sorry for that little boy. Say, why? Mom's not going to let any of that go to waste. So that little boy's got to eat barley and fish <laughs> for 12 weeks. That's worse than Chinese torture. <laughs> you know what the miracle is? When it comes to us doing the will of God, you say, Pastor, I gave, and I don't know how that's going to work out. I sacrificed, and I don't know how it's going to work out. How many of you have ever been there? I've been there so many times, I can't count. I'll tell you what. Every time, God, God never is going to allow himself to be a debtor to one of his children. Sure. Not one time. That little boy, every time he ate fish after that, I guarantee you, you remember that day when he took that food. Here's what I think. He had a giving spirit. But if you've been carrying around bread and fish all day, you're looking for someone to give it to. And as soon as Andrew said, who has food? That little boy said, I got some. You want it? Oh, church, we need to rejoice this morning. Because God's using us to perform a miracle when it comes to reaching the world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of these days we're going to get to heaven and church through our giving, through our mission program, through our vacation Bible school and Teen Connects and everything else. People look around and say, oh, it's a little, little city church. Uh, no, no. It goes much bigger than that because this church has been involved in distribution of the bread for decades. Amen. From you. This, just this past week, if you came to men's prayer meeting, you'd know this. We gave 10000 to help finish out a Bible college dormitory in Tula, Mexico. We gave 10000 to put a roof on an auditorium in Sagun, Mexico. We gave $5,000 uh, to Moldova to help with the refugees, providing food and good for the refugees. Church, it's, it's never-ending. That's what we do at Capital City Baptist Church. Church, this morning, you know what I do? Let's just rejoice that we actually get to participate in the feeding of the 5,000.